This is Christopher Benincasa for the Jersey Arts Podcast. The Alan Parsons Live Project plays Bergen Pack tomorrow night. Just a couple months away from the release of his first studio album in 15 years, rock icon Alan Parsons took a moment during his non-stop touring schedule to chat with us about getting his start working with the Beatles and Pink Floyd at Abbey Road Studios, the analog approach he took in producing his new album, The Secret, and finally winning a Grammy a few weeks ago, after being nominated 13 times over four decades. The first one was for his engineering work on Pink Floyd's classic album, Dark Side of the Moon. Alan Parsons spoke to us from his tour bus, so you'll hear some sounds from the road on his end of the interview. So, we're just a couple months away from your first new studio album in over 15 years. What can you tell us about this project? Yeah, it's the first first album in 15 years, believe it or not, and uh, it um, it is called The Secret, and The, the Secret is now out because... <laughs> Because the release is pending, it's uh, n- nearly all the songs are, b- are based in in one way or another on on magic, which has been my passion my passion since childhood, and um, I'm I'm very proud of it. It's uh, it's got some some wonderful uh, guest appearances. We've got um, we've got Jason Mraz uh, doing uh, one song, we've got the lead singer of Foreigner, Lou Graham doing a song. Um, Steve Hackett is appearing, uh, Vinny Kaliuta is appearing, Nathan East is appearing, and um, all all my live band are are involved in in some way or other with with the uh, composition of all the songs. We're we've been testing uh, testing the new material uh, in in live shows for the first time. It's coming over really well. We're actually opening opening the the set with uh, a song called one one note symphony which is which is going down really well could you get into your process for this album what was different this time around in terms of the sound you were going for and your strategy for getting there it, it's it's funny to say this but it's, it's it's been actually rather somewhat retro to go back to the way i used to work um you know always having uh, always having a band of, of people there you know at least at least uh three four even five people playing together and interacting with each other that's the way i always used to do things and it's been it's been really refreshing to to work that way again um and uh, you know also uh, just having the the collaboration of, of the of the live band you know we 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 all we all get on well and uh, it was a re- it was a really fun process um on, on top of that, um, it's in it's in a brand new studio which I which I had completed, uh, you know, just right right around the time it was it was time to start making this record. So uh, um, I'm particularly proud of that too. You know, that uh, it was all recorded in in in, in my studio at, in Santa Barbara. Regarding recording and production, you said that an analog approach doesn't necessarily sound better than a digital one, but that you do feel that you've done your best work in an analog setting. Uh, yes, indeed. In, in fact, my, uh, my, my new studio has an, an analog console. I mean, the, we, we, of course, uh, like everybody, uh, record to Pro Tools, which is, which is very much digital, but it's, it's high resolution. It's, uh, you know, it's 96K, 24-bit, which is... Uh, which is perfectly good to my ear uh, as, a, as a medium, and um, 
but uh, no, I think we have uh, a strong analog content for this for the for the record, and uh, I, I'm 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 very happy with the way it sounds. You are universally credited with setting new standards in the recording industry, both technically and conceptually. Um, you worked on Beatles and Pink Floyd records at Abbey Road Studios. You worked on Be- you worked on Beatles and. <laughs> <clears throat> Three, two. You worked on Beatles and Pink Floyd records at Abbey Road Studios. You continued to be a sought-after producer. You continue to tour the world. You're playing in New Jersey this Friday. Uh, your music is even played by professional sports teams. Inclu- your music, your music is even played by professional sports teams, including at the Super Bowl. You're one of those artists who really has done it all, or at least has done a lot. <laughs> Uh, what are you still curious about in terms of making, performing, and recording music? I'm certainly curious to know how this album is going to do. Um, I'm, uh, you know, very hopeful. It, 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 the the last album I did was essentially um, an experiment in, in electronica, um, and um, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, it didn't do very well. So I, I, I'm, I'm much more back to the vein of the Alan Parsons Project style um, with this new album. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm really very, very hopeful. We've got uh, three cracking singles, I think, to, uh, to take to radio and uh, to uh, iTunes and all Spotify, all these things. Um, so excited uh, to be working with a new label, too. We're working with uh, Frontiers Records out of Italy. And um, they're, they're, they're very enthusiastic and uh, we're just completing uh, artwork and, you know, final, um, final stages of, of the uh, production of, of a special box set which is going to be put out uh, to coincide with the release as well as just the, the standard album. How did you end up at Abbey Road Studios in the first place, where you worked on records like Let It Be and Dark Side of the Moon, to name just a couple? I was 19 when I started at uh, Abbey Road Studios, um, but I, I was working in, a, in a, an associated department for EMI in West London. Um, it was called Tape Records, and we were uh, duplicating uh, quarter-inch tapes for commercial, uh, for commercial use. Um, you could, you, you know, back then, this was 1964, 65, um, you could actually buy um, buy commercial albums on tape. This is before cassettes, you know, I'm really showing my age here. But that was uh, one of the departments I worked at, and, th- and that was very helpful um, in me getting an interview at Abbey Road because it was, you know, I, I was connected with Abbey Road and uh, I, had, I had the experience that um, the manager at the time thought was necessary for me to come and train to be an engineer. So working at that duplication plant, you got to have a lot of first listens of the stuff coming out of Abbey Road Studios in the late 1960s. Is that what drew you in? I mean, uh, you must have been one of the first teenagers to hear Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. When I, when I, heard, when I heard the master tape of Sgt. Pepper, I, <laughs> I said, oh my, oh my goodness, I need, to, uh, I need to figure out how, how to get a job as an engineer and then... I, I, I just um, I was just very fortunate right place right time I, I applied for the job at, the, at a good time the, the manager had, had uh, intended to fire two people 
and uh, so it was just a, a perfect perfect timing on my part to uh, to get the job speaking of seeing it all you are also one of the handful of people who witnessed the beatles iconic last performance on the roof of their apple Corps building in london in 1969 could you just talk a little bit about what that experience was like well yes i mean um it was unusual in that um abbey road had been uh commandeered as a rescue operation for the for, for the for the beatles studio at, at, at their uh, apple headquarters in central london and um not only did they not have working equipment they had no staff um so uh, i was sent down there very soon after my uh initial uh employment at, at Abbey Road. I was sent down there one, uh, I think it was a, a January morning <laughs> in 1969 um, to, to help out and um, you know I was, uh, I was a t- essentially a tape operator and uh, helped uh, run those cables up uh, from the basement studio up to the, up to the rooftop and uh, there I was. I was, I, I was there on the roof as the, as the uh, performance unfolded and, and and very few photographs show me there because uh, I was behind a camera, <laughs> behind one of the fi- film cameras. But uh, if you if you uh, Google the rooftop session, you'll 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 see a couple of shots where I'm wearing a, a an orange shirt with a a thin knitted black tie, very trendy at the time. <laughs> Had you been a musician before all of this? You know, it, it's soon after um, that period. Um, you know, around around the early 70s is when I first really got involved in, in, in songwriting. I, I, I had played in a blues band um, and, you know, and writing, writing literally 12-bar blues songs was just piece of cake. So, so I can't really say that I was a composer per se at that time. But uh, I did get into songwriting and a, and a, a fellow engineer um, at uh, Abbey Road, Peter Bowne, had a had his own home recording set up and I'd go and make demos of, uh, of my songs and his songs. And, um, so that, that's when it all started. And, uh, and, and the, the real um, crunch came when, uh, when Eric Wolfson and I got involved in the early stages of, uh, of uh, the Edgar Allan Poe album. That, that's when I really sort of started uh, composing f- for real. How did you first make the leap from producing for other artists to producing your own work? We didn't really know at the time that um, that it was going to carry my name. Um, I thought it, I thought it was um, going to be various artists and then a line of small print saying produced by Alan Parsons. I, I, I didn't know um, throughout the making of the album that it would be known as the Alan Parsons Project. Um, it would, that was actually the... Uh, just the the way the record company were referring to referring to the album, you know, how's the Alan Parsons project going? Oh, it's going really well, you know. And uh, then then the name stuck when we signed with Clive Davis for the for the iRobot album. Uh, he said he wanted to hold on to the name, so so that's what we did. So, what music are you listening to right now? Um, there, there's some there's some good stuff out there. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm I'm. Um, not terribly familiar with uh, the charts. I mean, if, if I if I pick up Billboard and look at the charts, I, say, I think I know that song. I think I know that song. Um, but uh, I don't spend a lot of time listening to music uh, at home. We're we're more likely to be watching movies, to be honest, than, than listening to music. Um, but you know, all the big artists. Um, I mean, Taylor Swift, I think is is, is really good and. Uh, 
Beyonce can do no wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, there's some good stuff out there and there's some really bad stuff too. <laughs> You've been very outspoken about the quality of digital audio or the lack thereof. What is your opinion of the quality of the audio files we're listening to in 2019? Um, it's, it's terribly sad. I mean, MP3 is bad enough, but the fact that, that people are listening to music coming out of laptop speakers and even iPhone speakers. I mean, that's, that's, that's criminal. Uh, but having said that, the, f- the file that I'm recording for you right now is probably MP3. <laughs> and this podcast will end up as an MP3. Oh, right. Well, there you go. <laughs> but the, the, the upside um, of new technology is that uh, we can download high-quality versions of stuff. And um, the, the, my new album will be available in, uh, in high-quality audio. Um, and the uh, also a surround mix. I've done a surround mix 5.1, and that's high-resolution res- audio as well. So uh, I'm really hoping that um, I can popularize uh, surround sound a bit. I, I just got a, a Grammy Award for the uh, remake in surround of Eye in the Sky. Congratulations. Yes, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> it, t- it took 13 nominations to get my first win, but it, that, that just happened. That just happened. Uh, just happened last week. We were on a cruise ship when the when the when the news came through um, on, <laughs> on the um, on the lifeboat deck <laughs> doing our lifeboat drill, and then uh, you know uh, I was secretly watching the Grammys on 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 my phone <laughs> and, uh, and and. Uh, released a big woo-woo-woo at the moment the, 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 uh, the news came through. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> the Alan Parsons Live Project plays Bergen Pack tomorrow night. For more information and tickets, go to bergenpack.org slash events. That's B-E-R-G-E-N-P-A-C dot O-R-G slash events. And for more information about the arts in New Jersey, go to jerseyarts.com. I'm Christopher Benincasa. Thanks for listening. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.